everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. In the past, we talked about, hey, we have field on the street salespeople and we have inside salespeople. Today, everybody's an inside sales rep. The COVID-19 pandemic has turned the world upside down, and there is a lot of talk about when things will go back to normal. Christoph Schell, the chief commercial officer at HP, is spending a lot of time thinking about what this new world will look like. He's responsible for setting the company's path and making sure HP is ready to go to market in the best ways possible. How he does that is by looking at emerging consumer behaviors and combining that information with hard data, which leads him to design strategies and solutions that, recently, have needed to be deployed faster than anticipated. The pace of change is quicker than ever before, and the five-year roadmap that companies had previously planned for are now taking place in a matter of months. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Christoph explains how this acceleration has forced a change in HP's roadmap and sales model, and he discusses why the new plan is so focused on subscription-based services, supply chain resiliency, and data. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome back to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Christoph Schell, the Chief Commercial Officer at HP Inc. Christoph, welcome. Thanks for having me. If it was any other time I would have you in studio, I'd have you walk down the street to come here, but here we are on Zoom, even though we're basically neighbors. That's true. (laughs) So I want to hear a little bit about your journey. I saw that you have been at HP for more than 21 years, which was, I was like, whoa, that's a long time. So I want to hear a little bit about how you uh, came to HP and what that journey looked like to becoming the chief commercial officer, which is where you are now. Yeah. So look, um, you probably can hear this. Uh, I'm German. I started with HP in Germany in 95 as an intern. Um, I had to do a six month internship uh, in the business school that I went to. And I worked with HP as as a business analyst and then went back for another year to school. And yeah, then actually graduated and I wanted a job at HP, but HP had a hiring freeze back then. And so I went to P&G in Germany as well. Uh, one and a half years into it, uh, went back to HP, moved with HP to the Middle East. I was eight years in Dubai and then Australia, Singapore, San Diego, back to Singapore. Then I left HP again, uh, went to a company called Philips and I mm-hmm. stayed there for close to two years. And then in 2014, came back to, to HP, this time in Palo Alto. And yeah, since then, I've been with HP here in Palo Alto. That's amazing. So what is your 
What does your current role look like now? So look, it's a new role. I mean, for, for all these years that I was in HP, uh, there was a lot of change. Uh, but actually, one thing had never changed. We always had uh, the globe organized into three regions. These regions were the Americas, uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and Asia, Pacific, and Japan. And we decided last year, we will change that. And we did away with the three regions and moved to 10 markets. Um, these 10 markets are reporting now into a central structure that we call commercial organization. And I am heading uh, the team of the commercial organization. And we're basically responsible for all go-to-market. And from a category management, uh, we, do, we do the product management. We're responsible for basically the revenue and the margin and positioning the products correctly together with our marketing teams and our global business units. So, you know, in a classic uh, marketing term, you would say we manage the four Ps, the four Ps of marketing, and we do that globally. Got it. So tell me a little bit about behind the scenes of why you moved the org structure to the 10 markets instead of the three regional one. Like what was the driving force behind that? I think, you know, the, the driving force to me, and I, I was leading that project from the get-go when we, when we designed this, this new structure, was um, a change that we saw in how our customers wanted to consume our technology and how they went shopping. And actually, it's interesting to see that COVID-19 has accelerated a lot of this. So a lot of our, a lot of our go-to-market has moved online, either uh, to marketplaces or to uh, online businesses. These, these can be partners or even, even our own store. And customers go back and forwards between these. You know, they, they get some of their information during the journey on the marketplace, on HP, with the partners. Some of them go, obviously, to publications. They listen to podcasts, and they form an opinion. And when you want to be there with them all the way, um, you need to be very consistent, very consistent in how you show up, very consistent in how you manage your digital assets, and very consistent in how you get your value proposition across globally, internationally. And uh, we thought that the structure that we had of three independent regions uh, resulted in too much decentralized decision-taking when it came to uh, 4P management, but also uh, basically basic definitions of, of value proposition. And so we centralized this a lot more. Uh, we took a lot more control on how we manage it. And that was the, really the driving force behind, uh, behind the structural change. And there is, hand-in-hand uh, hand with this, a a move to go more and more into subscription-based engagement with customers. And we can talk about this a little bit later. And that's also a lot easier to do in a digital, digital go-to-market, a digital engagement with customers. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned COVID earlier, and I have heard from quite a few guests that their tech or product roadmaps that were maybe, you know, for three years to come got sped up into three months. So what kind of changes has HP seen when it comes to COVID? Yeah, look, I, I, I will echo that. I, I really believe that what we've seen now happening in, in five months uh, is what our plan, our roadmap had uh, scheduled to happen in five years. Uh, so there was a huge acceleration. Um, basically, the way I would summarize it is this, this move to digital has been accelerated. The move from transactional engagements to subscription-based engagements has accelerated. The um, request of customers to have more personalized experiences has increased, um, and that has a profound impact on how we design products. It has a major impact on our roadmap that has clearly changed uh, if, I, if I compare from February to now. But it also has a, a significant impact in you know, how we think about talent, how we think about uh, culture that we, that we want to build within, within HP. And so it's actually very exciting. Um, the core of our business is around personal systems and printing. 
And um, mm-hmm. there are categories within personal assistance and printing that have become essential uh, during COVID-19. I mean, uh, you know, the, the good old PC uh, is uh, very hip right now. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> needed to work yes, from is. home uh, or to learn from home. And even home printing, you know, which uh, a lot of people stopped really looking at as a, as a desirable uh, purchase has, has been, has been uh, coming back in attractiveness. And it's essential, again, for people that work from home and that, uh, that learn from home. Uh, and so, you know, that helps us a lot to offset some of the headwinds that we see clearly in an office environment with people working from home. Obviously, uh, the office business is a little bit uh, muted right now. Uh, so those are the big changes. Got it. So, so how are you guys handling these big changes? Like what were some of the biggest maybe pivots that you had to make over these past couple months? And how are you aligning, you know, team members and everyone around a big cause like that, that is probably shifting, you know, a lot of the plans like you had mentioned and condensing them into a very short time? Yeah. So look, I, I'm going to answer this across a couple of headlines. So the first one is, is really roadmap. So if you stay with these essential categories of working from home and learning from home, what is really interesting to see is that COVID-19 to me has created a new customer segment. I call this the prosumer segment. And what I mean by that is that you have employees that work from home and expect enterprise type of deliverables in their home. Their CIOs want to make sure that they can work securely and in a compliant way from home. Uh, and that required us to think about how can we bring assets that we have usually in an enterprise go-to-market, how can we bring that into an individual employee's home? So that's the first change in roadmap that you see. A lot of investment into workflow, a lot of investment into security. The second notion under this, under this headline is uh, when you are in an employee's home, you are also participating in how the family entertains itself. And that gives you a boost on, on how you think about your consumer value proposition and your consumer roadmap. And so we saw these two things merging. Uh, we had in the past, for example, a, a, a product called Instant Ink. It's a, a replenishment service where your printer sits in the cloud and uh, you pay $2.99 or $4.99 or $9.99 a month and you get a certain page amount based on the subscription that you pay. When your ink levels and your cartridges are at a certain level, we will replenish those and send them automatically to your home. So you don't have to leave the home to go shopping for, for ink. And that has, during COVID-19, uh, really hit a nerve and we, we saw subscriptions going up. Now, the cool thing about this is that you build a very loyal engagement with your customers. And the loyalty that we have on this product is really uh, very impressive. We, we, like, we like the numbers. And we have really thought about how can we take this and engage on it from an enterprise point of view and satisfying some of the CIO needs of having employees print from home. That's number one. It requires a bit of infrastructure investment, so we're thinking about how can we take this program and scale it further globally from the countries that we're in today to get a more complete coverage. So I think that's one point. The second point is around the headline of supply chain. You know, my generation, we have learned how to optimize supply chain for cost, Um, but we had to now learn that you need to also, you know, optimize supply chains for resiliency, and that is a a very complex topic to do that when you manage a global business and when you produce some of the, uh, the products that we have, some of the portfolio that you have, we own the manufacturing, some others, we do that with, uh, with equipment manufacturers. And so coordinating that, working on strategies and how to, on the one hand side, still be cost effective, but on the other hand side, be more resilient, 
is, uh, is actually very interesting. And so that's an ongoing project, but clearly something that COVID-19 has required us to do. And then the third element is how we manage customers and how we allow customers to really enjoy our technology and consume our technology. And I, I said this before, COVID-19 has been for, for families, but also for businesses, a concern, a uh, concern to their bottom line, a concern to the cash flow. And so moving from CapEx investments to OPEX investments around uh, subscription engagements and contractual engagements is something that is super important right now. And uh, we are bringing those business models to the forefront of our offering. So those are the, the three headlines I would, I would like to touch on. Cool. Yeah, maybe let's start with the uh, the prosumer shift, as you call it. I want to hear yeah. a bit about how, so you were focused, you know, B2B and on enterprises and maybe not as much on consumer prior to this. How did you shift your mindset and really understand like what the consumers are looking for and what they need? Like, how did you change that sales model to be more consumer focused and at home and working at home and, you know, learning at home? So look, we, we, we very quickly saw an increasing need of customers to become productive working from mm-hmm. home. I mean, and this started really with a lot of global accounts, enterprise accounts. Think about the financial service industry. Think about call centers that all of a sudden had to move thousands of people that they had in call centers to working from home. And to do that in a in a compliant way uh, to the enterprise, uh, in a in a secure way, you know, with cyber attacks going through the roof during COVID nineteen, because home networks are not as well protected as are usually office networks. That created an immediate request uh, from our customers to come with come back with solutions. How can we do that? How can you enable us doing that? And can you please do this in a way that we don't have to transact with you, but we go into a, a services led engagement. Mm-hmm. That was really the very first thing that happened. The second thing that came right on the heel of that was, hey, we, we need the kids uh, to go back to school and they need to do this online. How can we do that? Uh, what's the best ecosystem? It's not just a question of what device you buy, but you have to actually think about with school districts, how is it best to move a curriculum online? Uh, what's the best way to, to partner from a technology point of view? What solutions do we have in the ecosystem? If I think about Microsoft, if I think about Google, if I, if I think about other service providers we have there. And then again, how do you package that? You know, um, in the beginning, there was a lot of demand for mobility products. And right now, I actually start seeing a shift to more desktop products because I think kids and their parents are learning the hard way that if you sit six, seven, eight hours a day in front of a small screen, it's not very easy to, to, to stay focused and concentrate. So uh, getting them the best possible setup to learn, to read from a large display, to maybe have a speaker set, uh, to have a good microphone for voice, all of this becomes, becomes very important. And how you then uh, bring this to life from a business modeling point of view, again, was very interesting. In the U.S., uh, a lot of the education business is still transactional for us, but we have other countries where we are letting kids and, and school districts consume on a subscription uh, model. And so this is something I think that, that will evolve further. So I think those are the two, the two clear um, items I think that I have seen evolve during COVID-19. If you then look at our go-to-market, you know, we are a company that does close, of, close to 88% of our revenue through partners. And what our partners needed to do, they need to shift their engagement very often from a physical engagement with a store or a demo room or a sales force, basically that was, that was designed on feed on the street, to a more 
uh, digital engagement to a more call center driven engagement. You know, in the past we talked about, hey, we have field on the street salespeople and we have inside salespeople. Today, everybody's an inside sales rep, okay? And sometimes they go out and, and, and meet a customer, but everything has cocooned, you know, back into the, our employees' home as well. And the way they engage has had to change. So we had to learn how to uh, virtually sell, which is not easy. I mean, right now I'm talking to you, but we have our video off. And so I can't read your facial expressions. I can't read your body language. You can't do that either. I'm happy. Don't worry. <laughs> it's one thing to do that in a podcast, but imagine you have yep. to sell and you have to engage. So you need completely new skills uh, on how to do that. Uh, and we've also, uh, I think, had to learn how to become better. Each of our sales reps have to become better in social uh, media interactions prior uh, to a call with a customer, just to learn a little bit more and to get a little bit more in touch uh, with decision makers of companies. So just a couple of ideas, but uh, that is really playing out right now. Well, that sounds like a ton. So when it comes to prioritizing things, I could see there being so many things, like everyone's popping up and they're like, I need security. I need to be able to like work from home, but my kids also need to be able to be on. Like, how do you think about what to invest in? Because it seems like some of this could be, you know, go back to maybe a little bit of how it was before. Like kids might start going back to school eventually. People might start going back into retail. Like, how do you make sure you're making an investment that's for the long haul? Like, what are you guys betting on to make sure these are good investments? That's a great question. I actually think this is just, you know, the risk and the bet that we are taking here. Um, we think that while things will correct a little bit in the future, a lot of things will stick. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is informing the priority uh, that we have from a product, a roadmap point of view, and also from a Salesforce point of view. So team and I, when we, when we discussed about this, we think that travel will come back, but it will never come back to the same levels as COVID-19, um, mm -hmm. prior to COVID-19. So that has an impact. It has an impact on how people communicate. It has an impact how people meet. It has an impact how people design and overall how we engage. And so the skill set to invest into virtual selling, into social selling, is probably a good investment, not just during COVID, but it will stick. Okay, that's one. Then the second one is, you know, commercial real estate. Um, absolutely a fascinating topic. And yes, people will go back to offices, but I don't think that all people will go back to offices. And I think that the people that will go back to offices maybe have learned that they don't need to go back to offices five days a week. Um, yep. There are certain things that we will do in offices in the future, but there are also things that we will do from home because we've learned that, you know what, it's easy to do. I don't need to be in a traffic jam. I don't need to rush to get the kids back from school. I'm at home. Okay. I actually also think that some kids will continue uh, to stay home. I could imagine that college students, more of them will, will move to online classes because it's more convenient, particularly for this generation. So again, these are certain things that will stick. And I think your, your talent, your skill set, the processes that you adapt to and the roadmaps of products that you sell, they have to cope. And so I think the bet that, we, that we're talking about here is an informed bet. And basically, we're just looking for, hey, what, what is going to stick? I also think that not all of it uh, will happen globally. I think uh, there are, there are, there's going to be different degrees by markets of how travel will evolve, how real estate will evolve, how working and learning from home will evolve. But overall, I think COVID-19 has, has really, will have a, a, a cosmic, uh, a really big impact on, on some of these things. And I think that's opportunity for tech companies. Yeah, completely agree. So you just mentioned globally and... I'm pretty sure that you're able to see a lot of consumer behaviors across the globe. And I want to hear a little bit about what kind of trends that you're seeing. Like, what do you see in different areas that's maybe different than, you know, the U.S.? 
Yeah, so what is for me the most interesting, actually, I mean, you, you heard from my, my intro in the beginning that I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East, in Africa, in, in Asia. Amazing to see how quickly customers have moved to online business engagement and to services-led business engagement. And that has happened a lot faster uh, than it has happened in Western Europe or in the U.S., and so that, again, is something that will stick. And then it will have an impact on retail structures. It will have an impact on, on financing of, of services-led business models. Super exciting, but it's obviously also requiring for certain infrastructure to be in place. I, I talked about uh, the investment in infrastructure that we are making to bring some of our subscription models um, to life in, in those markets. So that is overall a very exciting thing that I'm seeing. I also see that in our partner landscape, there's consolidation going on. And the consolidation is going on for uh, two, two reasons, I guess. One is uh, the overall health of business, but also the second reason being that different partners need to get access to different uh, capabilities. Partners that in the past, prior to COVID-19, were focused on value-added reselling, for example, in the enterprise segment, they have an opportunity to learn how to be involved in consumer business. And the opposite is true as well. Uh, retailers have an opportunity now to be involved in working from home and learning from home and to uh, thinking about a consumerization of IT in the professional world. And both is happening. And super exciting to see, super exciting to see how different partners are taking different strategies and, and running with it. We see um, a significant impact on our business led by global system integrators. Um, these are uh, companies that help large companies, enterprise companies uh, with outsourcing projects and outsourcing in certain verticals and certain geographies has been increasing quite a lot from a customer uh, demand point of view. And so we see more and more of our funnel, more and more of our business going through global system integrators. So there's a lot of movement in the overall go-to-market structure of HP and of the IT industry in general. Got it. That makes sense. So to move over to um, your second point about subscription-based services, Everyone wants to create a subscription service because obviously that's very good for revenue prediction and just good for a business, but not everyone can do it. So what kind of lessons do you have or have you learned around like, this is how you create a good one? This, like people actually want this versus we tried this and this is not good. Like any lessons there or advice? I think it's like any product, you know, if you just do it because you think you, you should <laughs> or you can, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. not a good enough reason. <laughs> okay, so at the end of the day, it all starts with the customer. So you need to hit a nerve. You need to solve for an outcome uh, that a customer wants. And that's really what subscription is all about. You are now in an outcome-based engagement with a customer. And I think that is probably a very um, traditional definition. I think what you need to add now to it is, okay, it's an outcome, but the outcome needs to be personalized. And if you can do that, then the likelihood of getting a loyal customer engagement I think it's quite high, regardless of what you invest into. That's number one. In order to do that, we needed to think differently about how we approach our categories. What I mean by that is, it's less about the, the hardware engagement uh, or the hardware sale that we traditionally have in printing and personal systems, but it's more about, okay, here's the outcome. It requires this workflow. It requires yeah, this software engagement, if you want. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the capability of the hardware they take a bit of a backseat because you're really trying to get involved into a workflow. You're trying to get involved into 
productivity element or an entertainment element that your customer is seeking. So I think that shift in mindset as you design the value proposition is very important. And then thirdly, I guess you need to adapt the value proposition culturally and by market. So what I described earlier on around Instant Inc., I gave you the U.S. example because we're both here in California and Palo Alto. If I would talk to you um, and you were in Germany or you were in France or in in Singapore, uh, the value proposition would actually look differently. And that's, I think that's important that you have the understanding, but also the technical means to adjust to a cultural environment and to a, to a specific market environment. Yeah, I'll stop there. But I, I think this is, this is a very general answer, but I think this is, this is kind of the, the ABC of having a successful shift to a subscription-based business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think COVID-19 definitely helped with that because before all this, I mean, even myself thinking about entering into a subscription, I'm like, oh, I'm going to forget. Is it even worthwhile? But I think now, you know, because a lot of people are at home and they're trying to make things easier, there's a lot more things maybe on your plate when you're at home with your kids and you're working and all that. It seems like people are more willing. And as long as you deliver on that value proposition, it's golden. I agree. How are you staying on top of, like you were talking about the cultural trends, whereas, you know, places in Europe, it's very different there versus in the US, maybe people are more eager to get into a subscription. Like, how do you stay on top of what different cultures want and what's valuable to them and what maybe is like a little bit too far. Maybe like you mentioned in Germany, like they might not want maybe their payment information in there or something. I know privacy there is a very big thing. Whereas here it's like, yeah, okay, charge my credit card. And if it, if something happens, like credit card company, will take care of it. Like, how do you stay on top of that? That's actually a very important topic. You know, in particular, when we talk about personalized experiences where we look into uh, into customer data uh, in order to project, you know, what the outcomes are that they want in the future. And to offer a, we call this a segment of one value proposition. And we are taking a, when it comes to data, we're taking a very informed, I guess, decision, understanding local context and local laws. We want for our customers to opt in. And if they don't opt in, then of course, we will not be able to give a personalized experience, but we, I, we respect that, that data privacy concern that they have. It does help, you know, to, to have local teams and local setups in key markets. So you have your finger on the pulse. Mm-hmm. We obviously have as well, uh, very capable uh, teams that, that think about trends, okay, and design our, in our global business units. It also helps if you have the ability to not always go and launch a product globally at the first instant, but if you start in one market, you know, have a pilot, pause, fine tune a little bit and then go for a rollout, um, they can actually be quite beneficial. So I have quite good experiences with that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, understanding the local context, understanding the local laws, understanding what is culturally acceptable beyond laws even is, is very important. Yeah. Yeah. I think having people on the ground who can kind of guide you on that yes. is definitely the only way to go about that. So how are you approaching holiday season? Like what kind of things are you changing that maybe, you know, you had a plan six months ago that now is completely different? Like what are you guys doing around that? Or what trends do you see happening around the holidays this year? Yeah, look, so um, the, the holiday season is, um, is super interesting because I think it is flavored by how COVID is, is actually um, being managed by certain countries and by certain markets. You know, we, we have a very different playbook uh, by markets because we see in some markets COVID coming back in a second wave and some maybe even a third wave, you could argue. And by the time Black Friday and holiday approaches, uh, that will definitely be the case. And so how do you manage holiday in that context where supply chains can be disrupted, where you might have another lockdown, where also then whenever that happens, all of a sudden the essential categories I talked to about earlier 
they will come again even more uh, top of mind from an essential point of view because kids understand, okay, this is going to last longer. We're going to be at home. Uh, parents understand, okay, the office is not going to uh, open up in my city, in my country. I have to have better equipment. And so um, you see this constant, very fluid situation on demand. And so for us, the biggest topic is actually how to manage forecasts, how to manage supply chains, how to make sure that we have the right product at the right time in, in the right place. And of course, you know, I could have said that before COVID, but all the historic data that we had on this is kind of obsolete. <laughs> okay, all of that yeah. is, uh, is up in the air because of COVID. So we've, we've learned a lot. Um, the challenge that we have sometimes is that you cannot just turn on a, on a dime here. Uh, we work in ecosystems, in component ecosystems, in manufacturing ecosystems. And so reacting to that is not easy. Yeah, you need to pull a big ship uh, of an ecosystem with you. And so we're trying to be agile, trying to be as flexible as we can. We're trying to communicate more uh, with our customers, communicate more with our go-to-market partners, and uh, basically uh, are, are planning a lot more uh, to, to be able to cope. But, you know, ask me that question again in January um, after, after yeah. the Zoper, because clearly I don't have a crystal ball either on how all of this is going to develop. So it's all about being agile. Yeah, completely agree. Well, how are you guys going about forecasting? Because we did have an earlier episode where the guest kind of mentioned, like, don't even try and forecast certain scenarios because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, you can either just, I don't know, it's different ways of thinking around forecasting where you just said, don't try and place it on one scenario. Like, if this happens with the election, like, this will happen. He said, all of that doesn't really matter. Like, what are your guys' viewpoints on creating a forecast that can at least guide you in the right direction, even if it's not right? Yeah, uh, very good point. So maybe maybe that's exactly the point. You know, maybe your endeavor for the forecast should not be to be accurate, but to have a forecast that supports your game plan, and then you execute the game plan. And I, I actually think that's that's at least how I think about it. That that's number one. Number two, we did do scenarios, okay, for Black Friday and for holiday. We have to uh, just to come to an agreement of you know, what products uh, we will sell in what go-to-market, in what country, what does this mean from a component point of view, what does it mean from a factory point of view, what does it mean from an ocean shipment and airplane uh, capacity point of view. So we need to have scenarios. We cannot just leave that open. But mm -hmm. interestingly enough, we tried not to boil the ocean. And when it came to, you know, how many different criteria do we use uh, in coming up with this forecast? So we really centered very much around covid and how COVID might play out in different markets uh, from a timing point of view and from a consequence management point of view. You know, will there be more lockdowns or not? Will kids go to school or uh, go to school from home? Scenarios like that. We also learned that, you know, from a component point of view, different countries have been impacted in different ways uh, during COVID. Um, you know, uh, manufacturing capacity went up and down in different manufacturing countries of ours based on how COVID rolled out. So trying to anticipate that is very important too. I hope that answers it, but unfortunately, yeah. we did have scenarios. <laughs> Not too many. It was only three, but we had three scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that you guys are going about it is really smart, not getting too much in the weeds and having higher level themes around the scenarios, because I can just think about the number of models that I built back in my finance and product days. And it's like one person could question one little variable, like, oh, that shouldn't be 10%, that should be 15. And it got too much in the weeds and the conversation would always go astray instead of, like you said, kind of keeping it at like higher level things that you can influence that actually give you some kind of scenarios that are could be semi-correct. So yeah, it seems really smart. 
you said that it's much better than I did. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so the third thing I want to touch on, because I can tell you are so excited about supply chains. So I wanted to touch on that a bit about making your supply chain anti-fragile. Like, how are you guys, like, how were you before COVID-19? And what does your supply chain look like now? Or what is what are some of the big changes you made that are making you more resilient? Look, I think it's actually interesting because already prior to COVID, we had to think about our supply chain strategies because of tariffs, okay? And so that was actually quite a good preparation for COVID uh, because we kind of learned about, you know, different options um, from a supply chain point of view, moving to uh, different cities, moving to different countries, using different logistic strategies, um, you know, not just ocean and trucking and, uh, and airplanes, but also looking at railway. Really interesting, interesting scenarios. What COVID then did is kind of put a, a filter over this, um, over the possibilities that you have from a resiliency point of view. Now we're looking at all of this. Uh, we've made some moves already, um, but I think this project is just started really. Uh, it's something that we, that we have to continue to work. It's also not easy just to move from you know, one factory to another. It takes uh, deliberate planning. But I, I really believe that uh, in a weird way, the whole tariff discussion gave us a bit of a head start in thinking about how to disrupt our own supply chain footprint. Yeah, it seems like it would be pretty tricky figuring out, is this partner going to be resilient and agile? And especially if you're starting from scratch with someone new or like building out some new partners, like how would you think about, you know, finding a partner that you can trust if you haven't worked with them before? Yeah, that's a very good point. And, you know, maybe even at a higher aggregated level countries. You know, you can yeah. have a very good, a very good partner. Okay, somebody who that is super resilient, but if the government in the country where they operate doesn't allow them to manufacture, then that's that. Okay, so it's, it becomes yeah. it becomes very complex very quickly. Uh, you can have a country that wants to manufacture and a partner that is very capable, but if the components can't be uh, shipped to the factory for whatever reason, looking at this holistically, assessing country risk. Uh, secondary uh, sub component supplier risk, and uh, then forming a strategy is super important. Of course, you know when we when we do this, we have a very elaborate process to qualify suppliers and to qualify component suppliers as well. I think that COVID nineteen has uh, sharpened our senses a little bit more again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's probably always good to have a little bit of that little shake up every once in a while to make sure all the internal <laughs> practices are good, right? Keeps you on your toes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what kind of, what do you think the future of online commerce looks like in the next year or in the next five years? Like what, what other things are you guys preparing for right now? Look, uh, so I, I think I'm, I'm super impressed by what I see marketplaces um, doing for our businesses. And so it's not just in a business to consumer uh, environment, but also really in a business to business environment. And, you know, in the U.S., I mean, we... We are all daily in touch with these marketplaces, be it uh, warmar.com or thatintegratedjet.com or, um, or Amazon. But that's a very US-centric viewpoint. Um, mm -hmm. When you look a little bit more globally, there are also uh, other marketplaces. Uh, in Southeast Asia, there's a marketplace called Lazada that I think is very interesting. Uh, in China, you have uh, Alibaba or JD.com for us, okay, that are, that are very interesting. And at the end of the day, it's super amazing to see how the idea of having tailor-made value propositions to your customers, how marketplaces are dealing with this, how they're dealing with being very customer-centric, 
moving to subscription-based business models, moving to outcome-based business models, anticipating uh, what the customer wants to experience next and what they want the outcome to be next. So I think that is, that is setting the bar, I think, in our, in our go-to-market, and it is setting the bar on how close you can be to a customer. So what we require to do is we obviously participate uh, in these marketplace opportunities, but we are also keen to learn and uh, think about how we can get traditional partners involved and also get our own direct go-to-market engines uh, involved and uh, basically you know, think about how we, how we think about the relationships that we have with customers, but also with partners. And so we recently launched a, a, a new channel partner program. I said early on that we do close to 88% of our business through uh, channel partners. And, you know, in the past, we defined a relationship that we have uh, with partners basically based on two pillars. One was the overall performance, the overall size of the relationship that we have from a business point of view. And the second big pillar was really around capability. Uh, think about certification, for example. And we left those. They, they continue to be important, but we added a third one. And that third one is really collaboration, collaboration on going to market together, going to market in services-led models, uh, going to market by sharing important, uh, important information, obviously with customers opted in, in order to, to, to be able to move to subscription and outcome-based services. And so that is a Herculean task to do that across uh, the tens of thousands of partners that we have, across the, 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 the whole global coverage that we have. But it's also super energizing uh, to, to have discussions with partners and to see what their capabilities are. And as I said to you, um, you know, I think prior to COVID, launching that third pillar would have been a very tough sell-in into my partner landscape. But uh, with COVID-19, everybody gets it. So everybody understands why this is something that we need to evolve on together and uh, why our customers are expecting it from us. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So with all these changes that you guys are experiencing, what kind of new metrics have you started to have to review that maybe you weren't reviewing before? Oh my God. <laughs> well, Your favorite yeah. ones, if you want, doesn't have to be everyone. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, the biggest challenge is that, uh, you know, yes, you have, you have data uh, from these digital footprints that your customers leave behind, but which of these data are really important? How do you, how do you use the data? Uh, and uh, let me maybe say this, you know, the data is interesting, but what is fascinating is how you get to the data and how you treat the data. What I mean by that is, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies, uh, they do ABC testing, uh, but then it's uh, some executive that can overrule uh, the results of ABC testing. So yeah, based on their gut. Exactly, based on the gut or years of experience or whatever. Okay? Yeah. But uh, that's, that's actually a problem. Um, so I think you, you, cannot, you cannot be a data-centric company and then have a process that allows for data centricity to be overwritten. So that's number one. And that requires actually a huge cultural shift. Okay? The second cultural shift is all around data analytics. And I think we had to really double down uh, on data analytics uh, capabilities within the company, both from an employee skill set point of view, but also from a digital transformation point of view on the tools that we use, on the infrastructure that we use. And I think uh, nowhere is this more visible to me, the progress, but also still what we have left to do when it come, uh, than, than it is on pricing, okay, one of the four Ps. We've come a long way, uh, but more, more to be done here. So I think that, that has a significant impact. And I think COVID-19 has, has uh, 
informed this even more. And then the third, the third piece is really this, this personalization. And I think we're starting to offer uh, more personalized experiences. This is clearly the future of where we want to go. And doing that in a partner-based go-to-market where, where the partner owns the value proposition together with HP to a customer, doing that consistently requires a lot of collaboration. So this is why this third pillar in our HP Amplify program is so very important. Yeah, that seems really tricky, trying yes. to make sure the partners are able to personalize the experience based on their platform and how they know their customers. Like, how do you ensure there's a you know level of quality and that they're actually getting an experience that you guys want while also letting the partner you know influence it based on what they know about their customers? Exactly. I think that 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 last piece is very important. Um, it's it's a joint responsibility if you have an indirect go to market. And so you know we we have some part of the information. They have some part of the information. We have a clear understanding about what our brand stands for and what value proposition we want to drive. You know it needs to match their their uh, philosophy as well. So being in close contact, having good communications around that is super important. Very cool. All right. So let's shift over to the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Christoph, are you ready? Wow. Okay. Yes. I know. I know it's five <laughs> o'clock, but bring that energy. All right. <laughs> I'll start with the hard one first. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? COVID-19. Yeah. Other than COVID-19, everyone says COVID-19. So is there anything else that you want to say? <laughs> Well, I guess probably the, the 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 stickiness of what we've learned uh, during COVID nineteen. So even when it's over, okay. you know, but how much of work from home, how much learn from home will stay, and how much more blending will we see between consumer and professional lives into this consumer segment? Uh, I think that will have a huge impact. And as I said, told you before, I think this is here to stay. Okay, I like that. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Uh, Netflix queue. It's a very good question. I'm, I'm, I moved out of Netflix. I'm currently watching Succession on HBO. Quite entertaining. Okay, that works. I will have to, is it good? Yeah, it's good in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll have to check it out. What's up next on your reading list? On my reading list. So there's a book that I, uh, that I really uh, want to read. It's so I'm German. It's about the uh, Weimar Republic. Okay, so that's uh, a period in Germany between the two world wars. And uh, my wife just did a, a college uh, course on that and uh, it's intriguing so I, I, I'm going to read that book about the Weimar Republic I'm not yet sure exactly what to expect but it's something that I really focused on when I was in high school so I would like to go back to that very cool if you were to have a podcast what would it be about and who would your first guest be it would be about drumming because I play the drums uh -huh. and um, it would be it would be a famous drummer. I mean, maybe Ian Pace from Deep Purple or um, jazz drummer, Besson maybe. I don't know. Uh, one of those guys. <laughs> Is it just going to be like drumming the whole time? Like, I can do that. I'll do that for you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you can be on the show. That's great. You can be my first guest. <laughs> I don't think many people would listen after they're like, this is it. This is what it is. Okay. You never know, you know, maybe. <laughs> Everyone likes something different, I guess. <laughs> what new e-commerce tool are you trying out right now that you are loving? Anything come to mind? Well, I'm trying to shed all that weight that I gained during COVID. So I have this <laughs> e-commerce tool is maybe too much to say, but it's a diet app and I take pictures of all the, the stuff I eat. So it's actually quite entertaining to 
relate the calories to the pictures and doing so uh, slows me down on my eating habits, which is great. <laughs> so it's all good. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, that might not be an e-commerce tool, but I like it. I mean, you're, so it tells you, you just lost like that, or you're eating this many calories and it looks like this and it shows you like a piece of food, like a bag of chips or exactly, exactly. You take a picture and then it suggests how many calories that might be. And that, that in itself is such a negative experience that you stop eating. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, ugh, maybe not. I like that. I don't have anymore. All right. And the last one, when you um, can travel again, what's up next in your travel destinations? Oh my God. Um, I would really need to show up at my uh, parents' place. Uh, that wouldn't be too bad. Um, and then Where are they? They're in Germany. I would love to, to, see, uh, to see family in Germany. Um, I also wouldn't mind going skiing in Canada, if possible. That sounds great. I need to get back to Germany, too. I have a lot of family there. so Good. It's a very pretty <laughs> place. All right, Christoph. Well, this has been such a great interview. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and HP Inc.? All right. So look, if you want to be in touch with me, please uh, try and find me on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time on that platform. And obviously, uh, if you want to learn more about HP, uh, please go to hp.com. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.